2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Thank you. You may be seated. There are many signs <clears throat> are many signs that the end of the age is upon us. And I think we saw one this morning that uh, is irrefutable. I heard a motley crew reference from Don Smith. <laughs> You're going to have to serve somebody, right? Wow. Well, let's just expect him to break into smoking in the boys' room. And just <laughs> that was impromptu there. <clears throat> That's not in the message. Uh, let me pray. Father, we thank you that you have brought us here this morning. And we are gathered around your word. And God, it is not me that is important here. It is your word. It is your spirit. And we trust that you, God, in your omnipotence will work in and through this time. That your word will indeed be spoken. And that your spirit will empower that word and bring forth the result that you have predestined that it would. We trust you, we ask for your help, and we know that we will receive it and give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So we start into this last chapter of this letter, which is probably Paul's last letter uh, from Paul to Timothy. And um, what what a joyous trek it's been through the pastoral epistles and we'll finish up not next week I thought I had two messages left there's actually two after today Um, so um, we'll work one to five today and then again what a what a passage verse one I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom and you can tell that's not a complete thought but we're going to stop right there for just right now And what we see here is Paul calling Timothy sternly and seriously to something very specific. Now we've seen this word charge a few times before throughout the pastoral epistles. We saw it in 1 Timothy 5. We saw it in 1 Timothy 6. Paul has charged Timothy before. And here, at the tail end of this last letter... He's charging him one last time. And it's a solemn plea to something of the utmost importance. 
kind of a calling to the bedside before somebody passes away. That's kind of the feeling that you get here. Lean in close and take this in with bated breath. And we'll get to the charge in the next verse. But in this verse specifically, Paul is going to up the ante on this charge. So read verse 1 again. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing in His kingdom. Now does that feel weighty to you? Does that feel like this is a pretty big deal? Maybe the big deal? Paul calls Timothy to see that what is being discussed here is of the utmost importance and the first priority. I charge you, Timothy. I solemnly adjure you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Come to the very throne room of heaven, Timothy. And in the presence of the King of Kings, listen to what I'm about to say to you. Listen to what I'm about to command you to do. John Stott says it this way. Paul is not issuing his charge in his own name or on his own authority, but in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, and therefore conscious of the divine direction and approval. Perhaps the strongest of all incentives to faithfulness is the sense of a commission from God. Stock goes on to say, If Timothy can only be assured that he is the servant of the Most High God and an ambassador of Jesus Christ, and that Paul's challenge to him is God's challenge, then nothing will deflect him from his task. End of quote. Paul is making sure that Timothy knows that this is not Paul's hobby horse or just his personal preference. No, this is a charge made by God through Paul to Timothy in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. This is the very throne room itself. And that implies a lot of things. And it seems that Paul is emphasizing one specific thing. Who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Now note that. We know that we serve the triune God. One God and three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Here, Paul appeals to the Godness of the Son who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. So this charge is made in the presence of the judge and the king of all things. The Son is God, the Son is judge, and the Son is King. The Son will appear and bring His kingdom when He does. It is here in the presence of this God, the Son, the judge, and the King, that Paul is making this charge to Timothy. Timothy, let's go stand in the very presence of the enthroned, ascended Christ, and then listen to what I'm about to charge you with. Stand before the one who will judge all people and all things and let him witness what he's calling you to through me. It won't be Paul that judges Timothy's faithfulness in his charge. It will be Jesus himself. So again, this is a really big deal. After this charge, there are some specific directions to end the letter, but this charge is Paul's final push. His major emphasis. So he calls on Jesus to witness this charge and to remind Timothy of who he is ultimately accountable to with this last command. So what's the command? Verse 2. Preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Really not any mystery here, right? I mean, this has been the theme of all of these pastoral epistles, hasn't it? Do what you do, meet the needs you see, and as a matter of first importance, at the center and forefront of it all is the Word. Amen. And we'll get to the Word momentarily, but what's the first word here? What's the command and charge? It's to preach. And we're like, well, yeah, that makes sense, right? Oddly enough, this is the only time in all three pastoral epistles that this word is used. We've seen teach a lot, but this word preach is the Greek word keruso, to be a herald, to officiate as a herald, to proclaim after the manner of a herald. Always with the suggestion, listen, of formality, gravity, and an authority which must be listened to and obeyed. Now, don't miss that. Always with a suggestion of formality, gravity, and an authority which must be listened to and obeyed. To publish, to proclaim openly something which has been done. Used of the public proclamation of the gospel and matters pertaining to it made by John the Baptist, by Jesus, by the apostles and other Christian teachers. End of definition. Another lexicon defines Caruso as to make known important news publicly and loudly as if a herald. So the main idea here is that important, authoritative things are being proclaimed loudly and authoritatively. So you see why I get loud sometimes, right? Yeah, that's not what it means. But But the message, the information being conveyed is of the utmost importance. And listen, it authoritatively demands your attention and obedience in this preaching. So the grave charge... And the command that Timothy is to carry out and to be held accountable to Jesus for is to preach. To proclaim authoritatively the Word. Now from the beginning of these three letters, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, as we've explored them, the focus has been over and over and over and over and over again, the doctrine, the commands, the teachings, the writings, the Scriptures. And all of these are references to the Word. The Word of God. Those words that were written, revelation of who God is and what He has done from the time of creation. I love the line in Speak, O God, truths unchanged since the dawn of time. Let them echo down through eternity. That's the Word. Written revelation of who God is and what He has done from the time of creation and actually what His plans were in eternity past. Preach those words, Timothy. Proclaim those words loudly and authoritatively. Preach the Word of God, Timothy. And now note that. That is the final charge, the singular command that Paul feels the need to make clear to Timothy here near the end of Paul's life. Here in the midst of Timothy's ministry of juggling the needs of people, church responsibilities, his own timidity, the wolves and the sheep, in all of it, the main thing, Timothy, is to preach the Word. 
Not committees, not meetings, not conflict resolution, not felt needs, not cultural trends, not pizza and fun, not buildings, not fundraising, not missions, not pet peeves, not self-care, not quiet times, not crisis management, not exercise, not budgets, not, 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 not. One charge. One. Preach the Word. Amen. Timothy, there is nothing nowhere at no time that will ever be as important as preaching the Word. It feels like Paul's got Timothy by the shirt collar and is staring him in the eyes about .6 inches away from his and making this charge. Do you hear me, Timothy? Is this clear? Do you see the gravity of this? Because, Timothy, I need you to see the gravity of this. And if Timothy had the thought or was asking himself the question of when, Paul tells him immediately, be ready in season and out of season. Be ready is a word that means urgency. It means on standby. This is to always be urgent. It's always to be of utmost importance to you, Timothy. And stay urgent, stay ready, in season and out of season. The New English Bible translates this as press it home on all occasions, convenient or inconvenient. There's no off season. There's no time to not be doing this. You don't clock in and out here. Even on your sabbatical. It is the continual, perpetual, all the time duty of this charge. Because here's the problem. There may be times when it's easier to not preach the Word. It may be easy to miss an opportunity or take a day off because it wouldn't be personally beneficial to Timothy. Paul says, no, that's not an option. Your whole life is to be centered around preaching God's Word. All the time, anytime, every time. And what's this look like? Paul says to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. These are the auxiliary, the functional outcomes of preaching the Word. When the Word of God is proclaimed, these things happen. This is directly in line with what we saw last week about the Word being profitable for God's people. And since the Word is profitable, preach it and let it reprove, rebuke, and exhort. We won't spend long on these three words. We covered them pretty well last week in the list of profitable uses of the word, but we'll skim them. The preached word reproves. The word has a slightly stronger connotation than last week's reproof that we looked at. It means to show one one's fault and demand an explanation of it. It's a thought pattern of chastening, and the word does that. So preach it. Rebuke means to admonish or charge sharply. And when the word is preached, it does that. And exhort means to earnestly encourage a response or action. It's a thought pattern of calling to action, not just pointing out a wrong. And the word of God, when preached, does that. Listen, if I stand up here week after week and preach the Bible and you're not reproved, rebuked, and exhorted, then I'm not doing something right. I'm doing something wrong, actually, if that's not happening. If you walk out of here every week, I really liked that, I'm not doing something right. And Paul is showing here that Timothy's primary call 
is to preach the Word all the time and watch that Word do this work. If the man of God does his job to preach the Word, the Word of God will do its job. Period. So, preach that Word with complete patience and teaching. I love this. It's called a persevere in the preaching of the Word. Preach with patience. Actually, complete patience. And that means exactly what it says. Preach the Word and don't get discouraged in doing it. Keep on doing it and know that God's Word cannot fail. Sometimes you preach and you preach and you preach and you preach when nothing's changing. How, how can I keep saying these things to myself and to these people and nothing change? And what God is saying here is patience. Complete patience. Which you can't help but think about Isaiah 55, 10, 11 here. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Is that good news? Amen. Wow. This helps us to wait and trust that God will do what He says He will do as we preach His Word. It will not. The Word of God will not return to God empty. It shall accomplish, shall accomplish that which He purposes. And, listen, it shall succeed in the thing for which He sent it. Now note that. It's God's Word. He sent it out and it will accomplish His purpose. That should really help us to be patient. And I'd really encourage you parents with this. Faithfully sow the Word of God in your kids and their lives. And patiently wait for God to do His work with all patience. He's not going to fail. The power of the Word is not going to fail. Your job is to sow the seed. God brings forth the increase. So when you don't see the change that you want, when you see behaviors and patterns, you're going, oh no, sow the seed. Preach the Word to your children and watch what God does and wait for it with patience. Patiently wait for God to do His work with all patience. With complete patience and teaching. That means that you need to help give the sense of what's being preached. When we went through Nehemiah, and actually we're going through Nehemiah, I guess we finished... I don't know if I'm not read today. In our reading plan, we're in Nehemiah. And it speaks of the law of God being read and the priests helping the people understand Nehemiah 8.8. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. I love that. That's what I see in this statement in our passage today. Preach the Word, patiently wait for God to do what God does, and help those hearing the preaching understand what's being proclaimed. And there's a fine line between preaching and teaching. And I think they're completely intertwined. They complement, they complete each other so well. I think preaching is the conviction, the burning heart, and teaching is the instruction, the clear mind. And Paul calls Timothy to use both to communicate God's heart, God's mind, God's word for the glory of God and the good of His people. Which is what God's people should want, right? Well, it should be, but... Verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, 
But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. A couple weeks ago, we talked about in the last days there will come times of difficulty, right? 19 characteristics of people who make gospel ministry difficult. Well, it turns out that people will actually be drawn to that. For, Paul says in verse 3, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Here, while Paul's writing in the apostolic age, at the end of the apostolic age, near the end of the apostolic age, when the teachings of Jesus are being proclaimed with direct authority, I heard him say this, I saw him do this. During that time, there was a kind of understanding that what was being taught was desirable. I want to know more about this. Teach me more about who this guy was and what he said. Whether it was just proximity or maybe even a cult of personality, people wanted to hear what these guys were saying. And what they were saying was being attested to by miracles and signs and people were interested. But in not too long from this period, these teachings started to kind of fall out of fashion. It's not new anymore. And so these teachings weren't what everyone wanted to hear anymore. I mean, really, if you think about it, hearing it over and over and over again that you're supposed to deny yourself, I mean, how cool is that? How sexy is that? You really need to change your message, man. That's not going to get through to people. And so, Paul is preparing Timothy for this downturn in popularity. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. They won't stand for it. They won't put up with it. They'll get tired of it. Enough already. I'm sick of this dogmatic junk. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They don't want sound doctrine. They've got itching ears like dogs, right? The word here means to have or perceive an irritating sensation with a desire to scratch it. I've got an itch, and the only thing that can scratch it is more cowbell. (laughs) In this case, the only thing that can scratch this itch is teaching that makes me feel good. Not sound doctrine. Don't give me that junk. That don't feel good. Find me a fella or a lady who teach things I like. Tell me what I want to hear. I'm going to search until I find someone who will agree with me and who obviously knows what they're talking about. Feel-goodism, prosperity, no mention of sin, of holiness, of suffering. Ah, that scratches my itch. What a relief. And I'll scour the internet. I'll browse Amazon all day long to find more than one. He'll teach me these things I like to hear. Shoot, I'll find a whole denomination that believes like I believe. How many times have I heard that? And all in all, it centers around what? It centers around their own passions. Accumulate, pile up teachers to suit their own passions. Their desires, their cravings and longings. Oh, all those things I want so much. Find me teachers who will give me permission and point me toward those things I enjoy. Give me what I want and then codify it so that the very teachings you teach make my passions my rights. Yeah, pile up those teachers. 
and I will worship at the altar they erect as orthodoxy and imbibe myself in all of my wants. Yeah, I'm all in for that. And of course, while this is going on, they will turn away from the truth, from listening to the truth, and wander off into myths. Like the children of the town following the Pied Piper, these passion pursuers follow these teachers into their false doctrine and lustful lives and turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Well, of course they do. The truth? Ugh, I don't like that. So I'll turn away from listening to that. I'll not tune into that station. This other station over here is more to my liking. Those bigots at church won't stop talking about what the Bible says. But that stuff's all cultural. It doesn't apply to us anymore. No sense in listening to all of that. And in turning, they wander off into myths. Myths are stories. Made up narratives that make for good pep talks, but not for training in righteousness. Goodness gracious, how many times have I seen somebody read a scripture and then stand up and tell stories for the next half hour? But people like it. They like hearing this stuff or what other religious fairy tales people make up to make people feel good about themselves. So they wander off into these myths. And the longer they go, the farther they go. And the farther they go, the harder it is to reach them. Because their hearts become fat and their ears become dull. And the less appealing the truth is to them. So they just find more and more teachers who will scratch their itch. And when one upsets them, they'll go find another one. Feeling good and marching toward hell with a smile on their faces. Their ears don't even itch anymore. But their consciences are dead. They just don't know it. But Paul calls Timothy back to the task at hand as we look at our last verse for the day in verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. After pointing out those who won't endure sound teaching, Paul contrasts them with Timothy and Timothy with them. As for you, those people don't deal in sound doctrine, but you are to be different. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. This is another one of those lists that we've become familiar with in these pastoral epistles. Paul's all about a list. Read his writings. He's always making lists. And it's always good when we see these lists to understand that this is a list. And to label it out. Number it out. We've got four things here. Right? He calls Timothy to four actions or characteristics that will set Timothy apart from those who are passions centered. He says, always be sober minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So first, always be sober-minded. As people all around are losing their focus and are wandering off and are getting drunk off the passions that they're imbibing, Timothy, you always be sober-minded. This means clear-headed, calm and collected. 
not distracted by the glitz or the glamour, not running after the coolest fads or clamoring for attention. Sure, steady, sober. Always. That will set Timothy against those of his culture and it will set him apart as a faithful man of God. The second thing is endure suffering. This is probably written in the late 60s AD and the persecution was starting. And as this persecution from Rome intensifies in the first century, the feel-good preachers would start making allowances for shortcuts and detours away from the hardship. It's all right. It's all right. Go ahead and burn the incense before you go in the market. It's fine. It's not a problem. You're not really saying that Caesar's God. You're just being practical. You're just being pragmatic. You've got to feed your family. I mean, right? You've got to feed your family. And if you've got to burn a little incense to do that, don't sweat it. Don't put yourself in a pickle. Endure suffering. There are no shortcuts. There are no detours away from hardship in the Christian life. But as he has done through all of these pastoral epistles, and especially this letter of 2 Timothy, Paul calls on Timothy to endure suffering. Not try to escape it. Endure it. Don't seek to avoid it or explain it away. Endure it. Timothy, your calling is to suffer. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's part and parcel to the deal. Always be sober-minded and suffer. Clear your head, get out of the noise and distractions, and see the suffering that is coming your way and work your way through it. Not around it. It's not an option. It's not debatable. The suffering is coming. Endure it. Now who better to speak to that than Paul? He was enduring suffering at this moment. Not too long, they're going to cut his head off. Calm down there, sir. They're going to cut his head off. And he's not trying to find a way around it. Next week we're going to see. I'm ready to be poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. Come Lord Jesus. So endure this suffering. It's coming. Endure it. Next, third, do the work of an evangelist. Paul says this in Romans 15, 20, 21. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul's ministry, his whole ministry, has been built upon finding places and people where the gospel of Jesus had not been proclaimed, and his goal was to remedy that. And here, back in 2 Timothy, he calls on Timothy to have a similar goal. Do the work of an evangelist, which means preach the gospel. Tell unconverted people the good news of the life and the work of Jesus Christ. And while it hasn't been mentioned in other places in these letters, this work of evangelism was inherent in the Pauline ministry and the team that carried it out. And again, this would fall out of fashion as the apostolic teaching got into the second and succeeding generations. 
But Paul reminds Timothy of the primacy of it. Don't ever stop preaching the gospel to lost people. Ever. Others will stop. Don't you, Timothy. And finally, fourth on the list is fulfill your ministry. I love this word, fulfill. You know what it means? It means to feel full. That's literally what it means. <laughs> to accomplish something entirely. It, the connotation is filling a container completely. Feel full. Fulfill. Don't leave any space empty or anything undone. Now, okay, how many of you at self-serve drink fountains have filled that cup up and then filled it up again? Huh? Sip stealing is completely legal. You're fine. I'm not turning in or nothing. <laughs> Steal all the sips you want. Just don't, gulp is not okay. Sip is okay. <laughs> Fill it back up. We want to get every bit we can for that $628 that that large drink is, right? Insider information. Drinks are how they get you. Like you go to eat and it comes back and it's $100. I'm like, what'd I get? I got like $48 in drinks because I got six people in my family. Get water. That's bonus material. Seriously, they charge like $4 for a drink or something. Well, I'm stopping. I'll quit. I'm sorry. Zip stealing is legal. You're good. Feel full. Fulfill. Don't leave any space empty or anything undone. The ministry that you have, Timothy, do it all. To the brim. Steal a sip and fill it back up. And that word ministry is one that we use pretty thoughtlessly. But it means to serve. Fill up to the top of the container the service that you've been called to. Don't let any of your service, your helping, your laying down of your life, your dying to self for the glory of God and the good of others get left out. Don't miss an opportunity to serve. To serve God and to serve other people. Because after all, life is about service, right? Fulfill that. Complete it. Perfect it. Fulfill your ministry. Soberly, suffering, preaching the gospel till all that needs done is done in your life and in service to God and others. This, Timothy, is your call. This, Timothy, I charge you with in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Run well, brother. Next week we're going to see Paul's talking about himself. And the following week, we're going to see him talking about different people and tell this person that and bring this person to do that kind of thing. This is really the last direct command that he gives to Timothy. The last recorded words as he draws him close to the bed is, preach the word, fulfill your ministry. It's powerful. So, in keeping with Alistair Begg this morning, we've got P's as our application points. See, I hate P's. I know. But we've got five P's.
to help us run with application from this text today. Patience, passions, purpose, preach, and person. Patience, passions, purpose, preach, person. The first one is patience. And we've talked about this already, but it's inherent in the passage. Patience. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Listen to me, church. Individually and corporately, wait. Just wait. We are all playing a very long game. And we cannot overemphasize this. Oh, we all want the results right now. God, give me patience and give it to me right now. Give me everything I need pertaining to life and godliness now. Get rid of all my sin right now. Fix my kids, God, right now. Take all my temptation away right now. And that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is a call to patience. How many times have you heard the testimonies of people whose grandmas prayed for them and their moms prayed for them and their wives prayed for them and they thought it'll never happen? And then one day in their 70s, it happens. The prodigal that went off, they're never coming back. And one day they walk through the door. Testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony of the faithfulness of God who's playing a very, very, very long game. An eternity long game. Be patient. Trust God to fulfill His purposes. Be patient. Let us not grow weary in doing good, Paul says in Galatians 6. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Parents, hang in there. Brothers, sisters, cousins, aunts, uncles, grandmas, grandpas, grandkids, kids, hang in there. Wait. God is patient. And He wants to build that into us as well. 1 Corinthians 15.58 Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I've met with some of y'all face to face. I've heard your struggles. Your labor is not in vain. God says that. It's not in vain. So patience. Now passions. They're going to find teachers to suit their own passions. Human passions are the natural enemy of the Word of God. Beware of your passions. Know them and beware of them. Christian 
We've talked about this in other passages, but there's a, a rash of people deconstructing their faith these days, and it's so public, and they, they do it on social media, and they go on news shows, and they give interviews, and they talk about how they just couldn't reconcile what the Bible says to what they felt, to what they wanted, to what they thought should be right. And you know what they're doing? They're following their passions. They can't bring their passions and the truth into agreement, so they follow their passions. God wouldn't make me this way and not want me to be this way. So they follow their passions and not the Word of God. Beware of your passions. First John 2, 15-17, familiar passage. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. There's your passions. And we are so prone to follow those passions because it feels right. How about this? No, I didn't read it all. And the world is passing away, by the way. Along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. There's some payoff, right? Your passions are temporary. You chase them and you're going to be let down. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. How about this? 1 Peter 4. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, before the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The time past that you've engaged your passions, that's enough. Kids, when mom and dad says, that's enough, you're like, okay, I better quit. (laughs) This is Peter's, it's enough. Stop it, quit it. Don't follow your passions. Your passions are sinful. Your passions are destructive. And you're going to give an account to the one who's ready to judge the living and the dead if you only follow your passions. So beware of your passions and don't let them take you away from the plain truth of God. Patience, passions. Next is purpose. Paul told Timothy, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now, let's let's press in here, okay? So those four things that we talked about, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Is that just for Timothy? Is it just for preachers? Is that for all of us? I believe it's absolutely for all of us. We're all called to fulfill our ministries. And if you are a believer, 
If you have trusted Jesus for your salvation and the Holy Spirit abides within you, because Romans says if you've got the Spirit, you're alive in Christ. He who doesn't have the Spirit has not been born again. So if you've got the Spirit in you, you have ministries to fulfill. You have a ministry to fulfill. And I know I've beat this horse over the last couple months, but I'm going to continue to beat it. If you're just looking at this as ministry, you're missing most of your life. Ministry is not just Sunday morning. Your life is your ministry. Fulfill it. To the top. Seal a step. Fill it back up. We are all called to fulfill our ministry. And I would think it's pretty obvious that we're all to be sober-minded. We're all to endure suffering. We're all to do the work of an evangelist. You're like, well, I don't have that gift. You should still preach the gospel to unbelievers. Everybody is called to that. And while, while our specific ministries will surely differ, our call to fulfill them will not. Psalm 138.8 The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. We say in one of our benedictions, He who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. What's He going to do? His purpose for you. And it looks different in different people at different times. 1 Corinthians 12 Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And boy, that's a sermon series right there. Like a six-year sermon series, probably. But the point is this. As the Spirit of God works in and through you, it's going to look different in each and every one of us. It's up to you to know what that gifting is, to know what that ministry is, and fulfill it. That's the purpose that you have, that we all have, individually, as we make up this corporate body. So that's purpose. Patience, passions, purpose, then preach. Preach the Word. Now what about this? Is this just for Timothy? Is this just for preachers? Ah. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's just for Timothy. I think it's just for preachers. Let me explain this. That's not how I went into this message, by the way. This is a letter from Paul to Timothy. Right? Paul was writing this, and I'm going to write this letter to Timothy, and Jason Moore is going to read it in 2022 to a bunch of people I've never met. Who's Jason Moore? What What am I doing? Paul's writing this letter to Timothy. Paul to Timothy. And not everything that Timothy is called to is for everyone. Stay with me. Timothy is a Christian leader in the church of Jesus Christ who had been given a position of leadership by apostolic authority. 
Paul had received what Paul had received directly from Christ himself. And he went to the apostles of Jesus who had received what they had received directly from Jesus. And he said, does this jive with what you are talking about? And they're like, absolutely. Apostolic authority is that it was received directly from Christ himself. So Timothy receives this preach the word command. Paul delivers that to Timothy specifically. Preach the word is specifically for Timothy. Just like God speaking directly to Moses. He gave Moses words to give to the children of Israel. Or a prophet in the Old Testament who received a direct word of God for the people of God in that time and place. There are principles and truths that are universal in all of these things, like our last point. But this specific command is Paul's charge to Timothy. Now watch. Not everybody is a preacher. Preaching is done by men that God has given the assignment to. The elders of the church. The leaders of the church. And these men don't have any authority in and of themselves. The authority that the preachers wield is from God and His Word. It's the same authority that Paul charged Timothy with. The word to preach, remember... And 4.2 is very specific. I'm going to read that definition again. To be a herald, to publish, to proclaim openly, used of the public proclamation of the gospel and matters pertaining to it made by John the Baptist, by Jesus, by the apostles and other Christian teachers. Always with the suggestion of formality, gravity, and an authority which must be listened to and obeyed. Not everybody is called to that. Am I saying you shouldn't preach the Word? No. I'm not saying that at all. But there are people who are called specifically to preach the Word. And the clouds didn't part and I didn't have some crazy experience. I feel like I'm called to preach. never happened. Don't need it. But what has happened is God has proclaimed His Word through my life and ministry. And he's put me in a place of leadership along with Don, along with Bob to exercise the authority of the Word of God to this group of people. You're all like, no, wait a second. What are you saying? In that definition, note the emphasis on authority and apostolic succession. I am not an apostle. Okay? Those days are over. There are no more apostles. If somebody calls themselves an apostle, run. Don't listen to them. Don't try to argue with them. Just run. They're telling you this is where you should not be. If they claim direct apostolic authority. God said to me to tell you, "Ah, thanks, see ya. I'm going to go steal some sips somewhere. I don't need this. Kevin DeYoung says this to this point. Quote, The work of heralding is related to other word ministries, but it is not identical with them. There are no instructions for non-leaders to preach or proclaim the gospel. Obviously, the Bible was written in Greek, not in English. The apostles never used the word preach, but the words they did use under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit means something distinct from bearing witness, something different than one-to-one discipleship or leading an inductive Bible study. There is such a thing as preaching, 
and not every Christian is called to do it. End of quote. So then what's the application point here? You're like, well, then it doesn't apply to me. I shouldn't do it. Or maybe Jason's just trying to elevate himself. Trying to elevate Don and Bob and their roles. I hope not. But I do hope that through this application point that we are elevating the word being proclaimed. Amen. Direct, apostolic, God-breathed word. And that along with elevating that word and the primacy of proclaiming it, we're also exalting the one that that word is about. James 3, 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. My brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Yes, that does make me tremble. So if I look out at you and say, not many of you should become teachers, that's not saying I'm cool and you aren't cool like me. That's me saying with the word that you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And not many people should do that. Why me? Oh heavens, I don't know. Why did God... I don't, I don't know. Why, Don, why, Bob, I, I don't know. But he did. And the importance of this application point, again, is that the word that is being proclaimed by those who preach is that it is directly in line with who the apostles were, what they taught, and that what they received from God Himself is the very word of God. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got a hobby horse. Everybody's got a favorite Bible verse. And that's not what preaching is. So yeah, this was just for Timothy. And it's not for all of y'all. But know that. That's important. Patience, passions, purpose, preach, and finally, person. Ultimately, all of this is about Jesus. Amen. Paul calls Timothy into the very presence of Jesus and says, Timothy, preach the Word. Because Jesus is going to judge you for how you preach the Word one day. And Jesus is the Word. He said that Himself. He is the one to be proclaimed and declared by preachers and those who hear their preaching. Jesus is the one who will determine the faithfulness of the one called to serve. He is the one who will ultimately judge, did you fulfill your ministry? And so all this talk about preaching, all this talk about end times and suffering and all this other stuff, it all comes back to what are we doing with the person of Jesus? And if our preaching doesn't point you to Jesus, we don't need it. I should have pulled this back up. I posted something on Facebook this week. Spurgeon said, you got a sermon without Jesus? Go back home and find something worth preaching about. Because your sermon without Jesus and it's not worth anything. Paul said this, 
And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Colossians 1, 27-29 To them, the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, Paul said, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. And Jesus Himself said this, and this is eternal life. That they know you, Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's the point of all the preaching. That's the point of all the ministry. That's the point of all the suffering. That's the point of being sober-minded, clear-minded, staying on task, because God has a purpose, and that purpose is summed up in the person of Christ, and Christ Himself is the hope of glory that is within us. And He says, come. And one day... Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Have you bent your knee yet? The question is not will you, it's have you yet? Because we will all stand before the judge and the king and he will determine what you have done and if you were faithful. Preach the word, Timothy. Preach Christ, Timothy. Father, we thank You that You have given us Your Word. You've given us Your Word in human form. And that Word, that Christ, He is seated in the heavenlies after ascending on high. After having conquered every enemy, He sat down. And You have caused us to be seated with Him, Father. May we be proclaimers, all of us, of who you are, what you have done, and what you're going to do. And may we patiently endure and fulfill the ministry that you've given us all to do, knowing our place, knowing that the authority rests in you and with you. May we be wary of our passions, and may we be passionate about your word. Help us, we ask it, in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't stand up yet. We're going to have a couple families come up here and sign a couple of pieces of paper that signify membership, covenant membership.